Via Hemp, let's talk about it. Via Hemp offers THC and non-TH craft cannabis experiences. Now, I love a non-THC option when it comes to your overall wellness. I'm talking sleep aid, maybe anxiety if you have that. Well, that's where Via comes into play. And did you know even a non-THC option if you're doing fertility or IVF can be helpful? Look into that. Well, Via is incredible. You got to be 21 plus. You can get 15% off with my exclusive code TSFS when you go to viahemp, V-I-I-A, hemp.com. They have all kinds of lifestyle products. And like I said, the best part is with the THC or without, so you don't have the buzzy buzzy. Don't you love my cannabis lingo? I mean, the buzzy buzzy. Anyway, I'm unique. What can I say? Look, order now. You're going to love Via Hemp. Use the code TSFS to receive 15% off and a one-time free sample of their award-winning gummies, 21 plus. That's viahemp.com and use the code TSFS at checkout. Support the show. Tell them I sent you and enhance your everyday life with Via Hemp. Summer is almost here. Don't you want to go to the beach with thicker, gorgeous, beautiful locks and everyone goes, hey, I love your hair. And you go, Nutrafol, baby. You know, something along that lines. Well, take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering my listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and you enter the promo code TSFS. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. I recommend it. I've been taking Nutrafol for years. It's how I got my hair back thicker and not falling out in chunks after I had KJ. Now it's your turn. Nutrafol has been on with me for years, and that's because you all continue to buy, and it really works. I love it. Now it's your turn to love it too. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com with the promo code T-S-F-S. That's Nutrafol.com with the promo code T-S-F-S. The founder of Seed Scout is here with me today on the Sarah Fraser Show podcast. Danielle, I'm so thrilled to have you. Uh, full disclosure here on TSFS, you're a brand new sponsor. We love yes, that. Yes, so excited. We love a new sponsor who gets to come on and tell their whole story. Yeah. Um, for people who don't know, Seed Scout is an amazing sperm donation center. So you guys service straight women who are looking to become single parents, gay women who want to have a child, and you are doing it in such a unique way. So thank you for coming and telling your story. Yeah, no, I'm so excited to be here. I mean, as you know, I've been listening to you forever because I'm from the DMV, so I'm going to do a little shout out to how great you were. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I'm so excited to be here and it's been, it's it's a great thing to like meet you and to be able to do this with you. Well, I'm honored, you know, I mean, thanks to you and so many, I've had, I have so many listeners that have stuck with me since my Kane show days and DC's 107.3 and Fox 5. And so okay. I'm honored that you know all those places. <laughs> and, you know, we have a great network of a lot of women that listen and, you know, really deeply care about the companies that they frequent, which is why I wanted mm -hmm. to partner with you. So can you tell me a little bit about your story and how Seed Scout started? Yeah. So um, my wife and I started like all 
people do, right? They, we started on sperm banks and we signed up for all of them, like every single one, probably too many. Um, we scrolled through and I think it was this perfect mix of my wife being incredibly nervous about medical histories because she's a physician and then me being really picky about looks and like how many families were going to be out there with the exact same genetics and things like that. Um, and so we were like, this is not the way we need to do this. Like there has to be a better way. There's no way that this is like the only thing that we can do. So we went to a friend, we asked him to be a donor and he was amazing, right? Like he's a friend from my law school. He was so incredibly sweet. He said yes without even thinking twice. And we went so far into the process with him. We had ended up like doing genetic testing, not being able to go forward. And then I was like, I think that was like our sign. Like we need to figure something else out. That might've been too close. Maybe it will like alter relationships. It might be a little difficult. And then we found a known donor where we got to know him through the process and we adore him like it is the best I mean I think I showed you pictures of him um, before <laughs> he's like he's by the way he's JFK Jr. reincarnate this man is so <laughs> hot and Danielle and her wife have this beautiful little boy um, which yeah. of course we're going to talk about how you select donors and I'm just going to say your donors are so hot so <laughs> which is very important when you need looks it's very important you need looks you need health you need like personality you need all of it right like this is a big decision so it's it's great yeah it's a huge decision and you know I'm I'm grateful you know I I guess I, I think like all of us, right, women, men, I don't, when you start out to have a child, I don't think you think you're going to be that woman or man that is down this road of IVF and surrogacies and miscarriages. You know, you think, because we're told in high school, like, oh my God, don't have sex, you'll be pregnant in a second, which, I mean, the irony is, right, when you're 18, that actually does happen. Yeah, <laughs> the we, people who don't want to be always get pregnant right away. <laughs> the people pregnant. who want to be is find it impossible. <laughs> right, find it impossible. And yeah. I've been navigating the IVF world, and I'm so grateful to have found you, because I will tell you, and I want to know your opinion, since you are the insider yeah. on the business CEO side, this industry, it is so hard to find people you trust. Why is that? I have to imagine it's the same on the sperm donation side. What I have found, I'm on my fourth IVF doctor. Not that these people aren't good people, but the way that they do business is just so you're in, they're, you're pushed in, you're out. They have no regard for your time. They're fucking late. Sorry. All the time you go there. into these, I mean, here in Los Angeles, they, they, they don't care. It's like, how do you expect me to pay the $30,000? I do have to yeah. work, you know? I mean, I, you know, sure. and not only that, but I think you, a lot of times you ask a lot of questions, you don't get a lot of answers and you don't know why sometimes they're recommending, oh, we'll just get an egg donor, get an egg donor, you know? And you and I have talked about this offline. Lots of times that's because there's a starts.org website everyone should go to. You can look up a lot of IVF clinics and you can see their success rates for women at different ages. And a lot of times they don't have good success rates. So, or they're pushing you to get an egg donor so they can say higher success rates at their clinic. Yeah. I'm curious, why do you think this industry is, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say like not, you know, on the up and up, but it, it just is so hard to navigate. What is your take? Yeah, I think like there's a few issues, right? There's overcrowding of um, fertility clinics, right? There's so many people that need assistance more than ever. I think like there's a lot of male factor in fertility. There's a lot of like um, people who are having kids at a later age and those people are needing assistance. And before, I mean, before, I mean, IVF isn't that, like it's not that old of a 
process, right? Like it's kind of new. And so there's so many people that are able to do IVF now and, and IUI and ICI is like kind of a newer concept as well. And I think like all of that is really overcrowding places so that when you go in, you feel like a number, you don't feel like a person. They don't remember your name. They basically have to reread the, your chart every time you go in. We, My wife and I went through like four different clinics before we found one that we loved and we kept having to like move all the, you know, paperwork over and it was such a pain, but we found one at the end and it's worth going through all of those things just to get to a place that accepts you and doesn't push you into like using an anonymous egg donor or sperm donor or, you know, pushing you into like doing things that don't necessarily align with how you want your family to be. This is like a lifelong decision, right? Like this is a decision you're making for yourself and you're making for your kids. And this is not something that should be treated lightly where for them, it's the easiest path to like choose a donor that has like a number attached, no name, don't the vials or the like eggs arrive at their door and they just do the procedure. But for you, it's a lot more complicated, right? There's a whole history there. There's a whole future of like how you're going to be interacting with that person, how your kids are going to be getting to know that person. If they get their questions answered, if they're 400th in line to reach out as a, you know, from like the same donor. So there's a lot of like issues. And I think finding a clinic that is, is more willing to work with people to create the families they want is the important part. What's unique about Seed Scout? Because you are really yeah. full disclosure with your donors. And thank you, by the way, for mentioning, you know, other couples that come to see you are male infertility, which we are seeing more and more. Men's yeah. sperm have issues. So heterosexual couples are coming to see Seed Scout because, yeah, you want to start a family. Um, yeah. All right. Tell me about the process. You guys are so full disclosure with how you select your donors. And then when people come to you and, and they sign up for Seed Scout, tell us about it. Yeah, so we are a known sperm donor matchmaking agency. That is kind of what we do. And basically from start to finish and from the second that you think you need a donor until the moment the sperm arrives at your clinic's door, we are with you and working with you the whole time. So when people sign up, they tell me kind of what they want in a donor. I show them as many options as possible. We have over 200 donors. So we kind of go through there and pick out the ones that might work for that club. Like client or couple person, whoever it is. Um, and then we go through those options together. We tell them as much information as we possibly can gather. We get pictures of their family members. We get everything to be like, this is a person. This is not just a DNA, right? You don't need to just see one baby picture and then have to decide a huge future for your kids. You get to see pictures of them at all ages and parent, parent pictures and kid and sibling pictures and all that stuff. And then once people choose their donor, they get to meet with two of them. They choose who they want to move forward with. And we start going through all the steps. And it's a complicated process. There's a lot of barriers. So we want to make sure we are with them at every step moving forward and just pushing them to, or like pushing the process to make sure that it keeps going and finding them good providers and lawyers and everything like that. No, wait a minute. What do you mean meet them? So do, do yeah. we actually meet our sperm donor when we work with Seed Scout? Yeah. So you meet them on video and a that. lot of our clients have flown out and met the donor that they've chosen because they think it's such an important decision. It's so cute. I get these pictures where it's like the client and the donor and they're so happy. And then they both text me after being like, like we love them or I love them. It's so great. And then it's like such a nice feeling to know that people are happy and excited about having to bring a third person into a situation to create a baby, right? Everyone's dream is to create it with your partner. Can't always happen. So it's really nice to know that people are happy about it. 
All right. Talk to me about that because I I would imagine, you know, in the egg donor world, as I've been finding out, my husband and I have had this discussion is it's like, oh, do I want to meet her? You know, and I don't I don't think I want to know her because I think there's this level of fear. Like, will she come back and try to say that she like that her eggs are our baby? Why do you think it's important that we should meet egg donors, sperm donors? Yeah, I think you're right. Right. Like there's this whole it's a little fearful fear. Yeah. There's a fear that like it's going to make people feel less like parents, right? It's going to make people feel like there is another person and I have to think of that other person, things like that. But that's like a very like that's a very short sighted thing, right? So there's that fear, but then there's also the rest of your kids' lives. And so you kind of have to think like what's better for them. And the biggest thing that we found and like the, the thing that really drove us into a known donor is that we listen to what donor conceived people say. And I feel like the only thing you can do to to guess what you're to figure out what your kids are going to feel in the future is listen to donor conceived people, right? And so there's people like Laura High, who's an advocate for donor conceived people, and she's incredible. She's standing up there saying like what they would have wanted if they could have had a choice. And part of it is lower family limits. Part of it is um, you know having access to know the donor at a younger age, and like all of that stuff is really important to be able to set your kids up for success um, and and to kind of lessen the psychological like impact of being donor conceived. Okay, um, now but, yeah. just, just to clarify for our audience, Laura High was conceived with an egg donor, right? And she's sperm now donor. Sperm, sperm donor. Sperm yeah. donor. Okay, thank yeah. you. And she's on social media, and she talks about what? Tell tell the audience. She talks about. Well, she talks about so much. She talks about everything that has to do with sperm banks, or even sometimes egg, you know, egg banks or clinics or anything like that, and and just kind of how unregulated the entire field is. Um, and there's a lot of issues, right? There in the U.S., there is no cap on how many time or how many families a donor can donate to. I know, like, I mean, imagine doing 23andMe and having like 500 pages of like half siblings. Like, that's scary. It's like it's really intense for kids to have to grapple with. So she's out there regu- like trying to fight for that. She's also trying to fight for something that still blows my mind that it's not illegal, but um, fertility fraud. So a doctor switching out sperm vials with their own vial or with their own sperm, which they, you know, just got in the back room of a doctor's office, right? Like that's not illegal in a lot of states and doctors are able to kind of navigate their way around getting in trouble because they stop practicing in a state, they open up, you know, they they get licensed in another state and then all of a sudden they can keep practicing in another state. And so they're never like barred from, it's, it's just, it's insane, right? There's so much out there that is just mind boggling. Yes. Yes, that's why I wanted to work with you because you guys at Seed Scout actually put a cap on how many on on your sperm donator actual donators, right? They can only donate three times through your organization. They can donate to three different families, which there's no child limit. There's only family limits, right? So each family can have as many kids as they want, but they can't then in turn don't in turn donate the embryos or sperm to someone else. So we're trying to keep it to three families. But what that doesn't stop is donors can have their own kids. They can donate to a family member if there's male factor infertility in the family, like a sister-in-law or cousin or anything like that. And then they can also donate to someone who they were friends with before sperm became a topic, right? We're not trying to alter their lives, but we're trying to also not have too many people out there with the same genetics. Like there's been stories of incest without even knowing, right? There's, it's like, yeah. It's wild. 
Yeah, it's wild. And probably as we all face more fertility issues, that's going to continue. That that has to be on kids' minds. You even, mm-hmm. you told me about a guy, Donor Dylan, who yeah. is on social media. He's like, I mean, he's a young guy. I think he's, what, 27? And now he's found out he's the father to like 96 children or something. And, and the he's- curious part is that it's probably more like 250 because only 40% of, uh, approximately 40% of people actually like alert the banks that they've had a kid and that's how they're counting it. And so like, yeah, absolutely. There's probably like 250 kids out there with his genetics. People should look him up. Actually, People Magazine, you and I talked about him, and then People Magazine this past week featured him because he's going around to, or, you know, reaching out or whatever to the families that, that do know of him. And he's going to meet, you know, the kids that he helped bring into the world. so sweet. He's so So kind, and I think he's on like 96, and to your point, it's like, and okay, so let's talk about some of the the dysfunction in this IVF industry and why it is unregulated, because you you brought that up. On the sperm donor side, so a lot of these men can go to multiple banks, lots of times they're college-age kids. They're almost always college-age kids. Okay, and what is happening like at these major donor places? They're not... Regular, they're not keeping an eye on how many times a man is choosing to donate. So I wish that was it, but it's not it. Um, it's that they that they don't actually. There's no regulation in the U.S., and because of that, banks are just. I mean, they're they're profit like places, right? All they care about is profit. So they're having these college kids come in, donate as many times as possible because each time they come in, they get $100. And so of course, as your little like math brain in college is like, I can donate a million times and there's no consequences. This is amazing. They sign an agreement saying that it's going to cap it at X amount of families. And there's two ways that they get around that. And this is really important because people looking at banks and even from maybe even egg banks too, I don't really know too much about that, but everyone needs to read the contract really carefully. One thing is that they only count the number of families when someone has reported a live birth. 40% of people on average report live births. So when they say 40 families, you're really looking at like, you know, 100-ish, 110 families. Then what they do is they say they won't sell it to any other families after they hit that limit of live births. And then they then take the leftover vials because no one's throwing away leftover vials, right? Let's all be honest, that's money to them. So they're taking leftover vials and they're selling it to other countries. So they're going to Canada, maxing out at their 10 family limit, going to England, maxing out there, going to Brazil. And people don't realize that because that's not counted as families. And in the agreement, they are like able to get around it through that. So yeah, people like Donor Dylan, of course, are upset and thinking, I agreed to, you know, donate with this like small amount of families of mine. I didn't even think we'd hit that number of families. And now all of a sudden kids all over the world and all over the US are like reaching out to me and there's no end in sight. And it is crazy. Um, where is there any possibility of some sort of regulation happening in your industry? I would love that. I think Laura High and people like that are fighting so hard for that. There's also someone fighting because her uh, son committed suicide because the donor had a really bad psychiatric history and she and they didn't catch it. Um, And, you know, they didn't even alert all the families and everything like that. He ended up committing suicide, as did his donor. Um, And, you know, she's fighting really, really hard trying to pass a bill that uh, that forces sperm banks and we will be the first people to sign up i promise to check medical history so like waving hipaa checking medical history with their primary care doctors it obviously doesn't solve like checking their entire family's medical history but we would have been able to catch if someone was institutionalized for medical like psychiatric issues you know before donating so it's like 
there's so many things that people are really working hard for. And there's an unbelievable amount of pushback, which you would be shocked at. I mean, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked because it's huge money. These industry, these, these IVF clinic, and, and I'm not saying that they're bad people that work there. I mean, we live in a capitalist society, but I, but th- when that happens, you do need regulation because the bottom line is money. So right. to your point, if they can find ways that are not deemed illegal to resell, reuse, use these, you know, your eggs for research, some of that is good, but they need checks and balances. And our industry, this IVF world and sperm donation has like, I don't think people realize has none, none, yeah, like none. And and it's crazy because the reason that they're saying no to like family limits, right? Like, let's take the most basic thing. Family limits cannot hurt anyone. It's great. But they're arguing that it hurts families because then we're we're lowering the number of potential donors in the pool if they get taken away fast, right? With three families or five families, whatever it is. But the truth is what's really lowering the number of families is the fact that they're not allowing gay or bisexual men to donate. That, or sorry, what's lowering the amount of donors. So that's what's really causing the problem, right? If they opened it up and they weren't so perfectionist on like, you know, family medical history, which most of those medical histories are lies anyway, then what we're doing is like opening the pools for more people to donate. But what they don't want to fix those things. They want to just blame the donor conceived people and other people who are advocating for lower family limits, saying that they're inherently trying to change the way that people can conceive. All right. Talk to us about that. So in the sperm donation world, they do not accept currently bisexual or gay men to be donors. You cannot have had sex with another man in five years prior to your donation. That cuts out a lot, even straight men. That cuts out some straight men, you know, like it is crazy. I, I believe me, I'm sure you have heterosexual couples that are coming to, that where guys have had sex with other men. I mean, yeah, you know, 100%. I mean, come yeah. on, you know. But okay, and why? That, I'm assuming that's why because of the stereotype that they believe what gay men have HIV could be having yeah. HIV AIDS or whatever. Yep. Okay, which even though honestly, more straight people have HIV than gays right now. So yeah. <laughs> so okay, but at Seed Scout, you guys do. Except, and and I love your reasoning for doing this because I think you have such a great plan. You really want donors to come and be fully transparent. And by yeah. your process that you do at Seed Scout, which is you don't judge, you know, there's, of course, they're doing blood tests to do all, you know, um, disease checks, I'm sure. You know, every, oh, right. they've got to do a whole yeah. genetic panel, right? Yeah. Okay. So by being open and saying, yes, we accept if you've if you've had sex with a man before, you're gay, you're bisexual, we take those donors. What does that in turn then do? Well, let people be honest, right? And the other thing is we what we do is we tell them that there's nothing in their medical history besides HIV that will disqualify them. And so by doing that, I mean, everyone has medical history, right? Like everybody, everybody. will never find someone who does not have a grandparent that died from something that might be inherited. Heart disease, so, diabetes. I mean, it's, yeah, it's the same with egg donor. You go through all these and you're just like, kind of like, you know, you're picking, yeah. they all have cancer, you know, I mean, they've all had something. Yeah. And you have to kind of pick things that aren't, what you have in your family medical history, right? Because you don't want to double up on the chance of something. And that makes sense. But to tell people that they won't be accepted, they won't make money unless they have a perfect family medical history is asking for people to lie, right? And we don't take anyone under 24 anyway. So we're hoping that by doing that, we're really getting a group of people that have that can process and think through the decision, can tell us their accurate medical history, because at that age, they should know their accurate medical history, unlike 18-year-olds who aren't really told their full medical history for family medical histories. And 
you know, we're also getting them to be honest about their sexual orientation or their sexual preference or anything like that. And so by doing that, we are just like creating a pool of people. And I, honestly, I think gay men are the perfect and, and bisexual men are the perfect people <laughs> to donate, right? Like they get it. They are going to have to use an egg donor if they want kids of their own. They're going to have to use a surrogate. There is going to be so many times that they can sympathize with all of these people that need donors so much more than straight men can. And love the straight men that we have. Absolutely adore sure. them. I think they are incredible. But I do think by limiting how who donates, it's cutting out the people who get it the most and the people who who respect boundaries the most and who like just want the best for LGBTQ couples or, you know, male infertility couples because they can sympathize that they also can't have kids with their partner. It's just the same feeling and it's it's sad it's honestly sad this is a dumb question but I do think people listening probably have it when you do a blood test you know all all your diseases do come up right like if if you do a blood test whether it's a straight gay whatever right if they have gonorrhea or something like that is going to show up in their blood HIV right like even if they tell you oh no no I'm fine you know so all that is you have to give a sample like right I mean you find that out yeah, for sure. So you do a genetic test that's separate. That's for like carrier genes to make sure you don't have the same genes and you're not passing on a major disease like that if you have the same genes as the person whose exit is. Um, but then at, right during the donations, you do a full panel STI check. And honestly, most of the gay or bisexual men that we have are on PrEP. And that's a medicine that prevents HIV and uh, prevents like and there's other medicines that prevents other STIs. And so I would say they're the safest people out there, right? They're getting checked like every three or four months to get make sure that they don't have any STIs. They're taking medicine every day for it. It's like the safest we can get. And um, yeah, so it, we can test for all that stuff. There's no way they can lie about that. And also, like, I found that people aren't really lying. They are incredibly, I mean, people tell me when they have, like, broken bones in their life and they had to get a surgery. Like, that's not genetic and they still are disclosing it, right? Like, it's crazy. What steps do you ensure that, you know, because I, I do think, you know, with us starting the process of egg donation and now I'm going to do a round of IVF and hopefully that works and then, you know, we'll see, go from there. But yeah. when we were looking at egg donor, you know, the biggest thing, is you touched upon it is people's mental health and wellness right yeah how in your business I mean how do you ensure that the the donors that you have are telling the truth about their mental history and same for egg donation yeah so well first of all I think a big issue is that sperm banks they give incentives to people who work there if they can make um, if they can like talk up donors and make them seem amazing and sell more vials, then they get more money, right? And so, of course, like if there is a glaring red flag that maybe a donor has mental health issues that he's not disclosing, there's not much incentive for people to work who work there to like figure it out, right? Or to to look into it deeper. So there's that. With us, we really, really wanted clients to meet the donor, to get to know them, to go through the steps with them and communicate with them so that they can also be another like set of eyes on the donor. So it's not just trusting us that we think that they're mentally stable and that there's no other red flags, right? And then the other thing that we do, which I think is pretty mandatory at most clinics, is that we um, make sure that the donor is going through two psychological evaluations. And so this is with a mental health professional. The first evaluation is the donor and the mental health professional. And it's just to make sure that 
dental health professional agrees that he's an okay donor, that there's no red flags that make the, the professional think that maybe he doesn't understand or uh, that like he's a donor or th maybe thinks he's a parent or anything like that, right? We're just like looking for any sort of mental health issues that might be there. Um, and then the second appointment is to make sure that everyone is on the same page about involvement and communication and all of the things that might happen. And so by doing that, you're getting two exposures to a mental health professional and like you know, at that point, so many people have met this donor that like someone had to have picked up on it, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that that's a big thing, um, I think, for all of us worrying about egg donation or, you know, is just is what is their mental health and are they, you know, healthy and disclosing that, you know, for for, sure. for us to know. Um, what, what else? Like, what do you think is the most important questions, because I've, I've learned so much in the IVF world, mostly that, you know, finding amazing people like you and really asking around and finding clinics that are ethical, that have ethical standards. Um, you know, the starts.org numbers are great for people to go look at, but those can be manipulated. So you have yep. to kind of do your research there. But are there other questions as an insider that somebody, if they're coming to you, seed scout, sperm donation, or looking to get into the fertility world in any way should ask? Yeah. So I would ask, um, if we're talking about like sperm banks, I would ask 100% how yes. many families and how is that counted? Um, what happens to the leftover vials? Can it be sold internationally? Is that counted towards the limit, right? Those are the two big questions for family limits. The other thing I would really try to look into is how they recruit donors. Are they going on college campuses and putting up signs and throwing parties at fraternities? Because those people aren't necessarily the best people to be donors. So just checking the age of the donor, checking how they're recruiting it. Um, and then I would say also, to be really wary of people who don't have medical history, right? Like people who are reporting that everyone in their family is perfectly healthy and everyone lived till 95 and no one died of anything like substantial, mm -hmm. no cancers. Like, I mean, come on, everyone knows that can't be right. So just to be really careful about it and it's better to know and for there to be more medical history than to not know and to be taking, you know, stabs at the, in the dark, like to try to figure out what to screen kids for at an early age to protect them. Oh, that's so helpful. So, so good. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's amazing the work you do because you get to help people every day create the family of their dreams. I have to imagine, Danielle, for you and your wife, it's so rewarding. And having gone through the process, like what for you is the best part of working in this business? Oh, my God. Well, I came from being a lawyer and nothing about that was rewarding. <laughs> so I will say everything is different. <laughs> no one had to oh, wait, my didn't like stop it. You know, what kind of lawyer were you? Like corporate and like, it was oh. just, it was not for me. <laughs> this was, this is more my field. You have um, to be a unique breed to be a good attorney. I mean, you really just have to like to read and I don't know, like dissect and words. And like stay in your office and not talk to anyone for days at a yes. time. Yeah, that's the kind of person you need to be. Um, no, but I would say the best thing is to like, it, it's when people tell me that they, really dreaded this process and they didn't want to have to pick someone else to like start a family with they really wanted to do it with their partner and for whatever reason it didn't work out and then for them to come to me at the end and say you have made this fun you have made this Aww. enjoyable we love the donor we thought we wanted no contact at all but honestly like after meeting him we aren't like you know we aren't we don't feel like badly about him or him being in our kids lives at all and we feel like he's going to be a good influence and that is like the best feeling in the world because that's what we felt and i want everyone to feel that way so badly oh my god yeah and by the way people can see the fabulous donor to you and your wife on your website 
Yes. So yeah. Well, believe me, I'd want him in my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's the best. And he's also like just as kind as he is hot too, which I'm like, how? I mean, they make people differently in Italy. I honestly oh, think that. I do. Uh, tell us about how long um, from start to finish on average does it take to pick a donor, uh, a sperm donor in your world, get that sperm to, and of course, you know, then it depends on the woman, right? I mean, some women use, uh, my dear friends who are a lesbian couple used IUI and amazingly, yeah you know, got pregnant, like the first time both of them used IUI. It I never know, happens, Never by the happens. Way. <laughs> never. Um, and they have three beautiful children. But so give us a, give us an estimate of like how long it usually takes. Yeah, I would say somewhere between three to five weeks to pick a donor. Um, and then I would say to go through the steps anywhere from a month and a half if the donor's already donated, done all the testing, to three months if people work quickly and go through all the steps. I mean, there's like a whole three-week wait of a genetic test, so that's kind of what's slowing it down the most. But otherwise, it's not that long. It's just a lot more work than being able to like buy vials of sperm like you're buying shoes on a website, right? Like that should not be how this is, but anyway. <laughs> um, I definitely want to talk about price. I'm always full disclosure with my audience. Yeah. Um, and you are more of a boutique agency, which I highly recommend because this is your child for life. So it is worth right. a bigger investment, 100%. Um, however, you're whether you're saving the money or you're getting a loan or you're, you know, taking yeah. dipping into your savings or 401k. I mean, this is your child for life. So to me, it's always worth the extra, like go where you're going to have peace of mind. And sometimes that costs a little bit more. Can you tell us like what some of your agency fees are or what people are generally looking at for the cost? Yeah. So our fee for a three family donor, right? It's a donor who maxes out at three families, which is our cap. Um, that is 4,500 for us, 5,000 for the donor and always, no matter what, nothing we can control, but about 7,000, six to 7,000 to go through the steps. Um, if you, if you get the exclusive package where it's a donor that only donates to you and no one else, then it would be 7,500 for us. 13,000 for the donor and then still the same seven, six, 7,000 to go through the steps. Um, but yeah. And, and you get about, look, every, you get four donations. Each donation is three to five vials. So generally speaking, people get somewhere around 13, 15, 16 vials. And so if you start doing the math, it's like 1800 on a sperm bank and you end up saving money. It's just that it's more upfront than it is in the like you know, if you're buying a few vials at a time. Oh my God, that's so great to know. And I, I just feel like too, when you're doing this process, having, you know, you go to some of these bigger clinics, it's like, you just don't even have access to anybody that can talk it through. And I, I know you personally, and I know I can imagine everybody at Seed Scout is, like you said, very hands-on, which this is yeah. such an intimate process. Like you, to me, again, to me, that is worth the extra money. And like you and I have talked about, I'm going to, to outside of San Francisco to have my IVF retrieval yeah. done because they are sort of the one clinic. I mean, they really take the time to like talk to you and, you know, they're giving you their personal cell phone. It's it, to me, it's like, wow, that's such a huge difference than being don't even get me started. Anyway, I slept into these clinics here in California and waiting 30 minutes. And to your point, they're looking up your chart and then going, oh, um, wait a minute, let me go double check. So they've done no, like you're spending all this money. They haven't even taken five minutes no to idea review idea. your chart prior. No idea. It's like, okay, I mean, uh, yeah, 
I, I just can't even tell you. To yeah, me, I value it, the personal uh, experience of it so much. I just don't want to be a number. No one wants to be like flipping through Tinder sites or like, you know, like to look for a donor. No one wants to be like going into a clinic and feeling like they're one in literally a million that that doctor is going to see that day, right? Like this is really important to us and it should be important to them for helping us create a family. So I get that 100%. And I agree. Um. I want to ask you too, as a lesbian couple, how important was it for you and your wife to have a child? Like to me, I I hated kids until I was 35 and now I'm obsessed. Like I, I'm like, my only mission in life is to be a mother. I love it. And I love to see so many more gay couples having kids because I, I have four sets of, I have four gunkles. So two sets of gay uncles I grew up with who are hysterical. They never liked children, though. They loved us. They were like, they were the most fun, like second yeah. parents, and they helped us go on trips and they were a blast. But they, none of them ever wanted children. They hate kids. <laughs> So yeah. I, I mean, they're living their best lives. So I don't blame them. Like kids do, are. do pull you down a little bit. <laughs> you can't go down. on as many trips. You can't. Well, I um, love to see so many gay couples having, I, I think it's the best. Yeah. I, I don't regret it one bit, but tell me about, you know, why it was important to you guys and why you see so many wonderful lesbian couples, heterosexual couples coming in and wanting families. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, this has been our mission since we were born, basically. Like we wanted kids. There was not like, I mean, my wife's a pediatrician. There's no way she was going to get away with not having kids in life. And I've always been obsessed with them. I could do without the newborn stage, honestly, but after that I'm in. I agree. Um, That's that's actually the hardest stage. It really, really is. I love what that's so fun to have a, I guess it's fun to have a built-in pediatrician. Although she, she probably, is it, Oh God! Don't you feel tell like me. you I never know. will know. You you'll never know as much as she does. I don't and so it's know. very like yeah, it's very scary. <laughs> she also like she diagnoses him with everything, which is right at the end. But I'm like maybe I could have not known that diagnosis, and we could have been fine. <laughs> it's actually true. No, it's good. It's great. It's great. Yeah, I don't it's know amazing. if it's good or bad. She does see all the uh, yeah all the worst cases. It, yeah, it is. But I would say most. I think. I think it's more accessible now, right? I think yes, like yes. there are more options. There is more um, that, like people are able to do IVF if like IUI doesn't work, right? Like there's more options than there used to be. I think there's a lot more influencer couples that are out there like really, you know, showing people that this is like, uh, like this is accessible and this is possible for LGBTQ couples. And I think that's really, really important. So we have so many LGBTQ couples that are looking to, have kids and it's so beautiful. And I think there's so many single moms by choice too, right? Like they're getting to the age where they're just like, I don't know if I'll find someone and I know I want kids enough that like this isn't worth the wait for me to like find a partner. And it's been so beautiful to watch those people like have kids on their own and and fulfill their dreams without needing a partner. Um, So that's a a big clientele of ours. And uh, and then, you know, of course, the male factor infertility couples, I think that's a whole different realm, right? Like they, they have to struggle with a lot of things that they didn't think they would have to struggle for, whereas like the LGBTQIA couples really knew this the whole time, right? They knew no, that they from ended the up start. Being, yeah, yeah, you that know, they need a donor. It is, and I think it's especially, you know, I mean, men get a lot of criticism now, a lot of it rightfully so, but also, you know, for our fellas, I do think it's hard for men to have infertility. You know, that is to yeah. your point. You know, I'm sure you're very delicate with that. I mean, it's, I think it's because you just always sort of think, ah, oh, men work. You know, I mean, it's just going to work, yeah. and um, and we're seeing a lot more of that. How, whatever for environmental reasons or health reasons like you know sperm is 
a big problem for a lot of men. So I'm sure, and, and that's what I, I think too, like you're going to really touch upon being a part of the Sarah Fraser community and being on the show is I think there's are a lot of couples out there struggling with that. And I can't wait yeah. for them to find you because it is very sensitive, I think, for a lot of men, you know? And Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's very hard. Yeah. Um, Seedscout.com is the website, correct? Theseedscout.com. The Theseedscout. Thank yeah. you. Theseedscout.com. Yeah. You're going to be seeing it all over my social media. You need to follow them. Obviously, if you are in the, you know, if you think you're going to be needing a sperm donor, this is the place to go. Um, also, spread it around. Share it with a friend, uh, somebody that might be dealing with whether it's, you know, sperm infertility that they're facing or your favorite lesbian couple, whoever it is. We want to pass it on because... Only your favorites. Only your favorites. Yes, we only want your favorites. Not your not favorite lesbian couple. <laughs> But Danielle Winston, thank you. I mean, you're so accessible to the Sarah Fraser audience. So people should also slide into, you know, Seed Scout. You're on yeah. Instagram. We're going to blast all your socials. But even on your website, there's a contact. So if you have any questions, Danielle, her team are there to help. Um, I, I can't wait for people to just discover you even more. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.